Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, for many people, the thought of taking a test sends shivers up their spines, if you know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like, like I personally was never a really good test taker. I know, I know, contrary to your thinking, you, you been? But, but seriously, and if I'm being honest, today, I mean, just the test itself freaks me out, man. I'm just like, like, I know the information, but you put me in front of a test and I start to, is this what they're asking? What answer do they want? And I just, I just freak out. And I, I mean, little bead, bead, beads of sweat and my heart starts pounding and I'm just, you know the information, but <laughs> anybody like that with tests? You're just like, I don't like tests. Standardized tests were especially stressful. I was even nervous taking my driving test. Not so much the road, but the written exam. You know, you're like, no, wait, now, wait a minute. Now, this is probably too much information, but it was around two years ago, church, that uh, I was driving Nathalie, my wife, to her radiation appointment. Okay, we were on the West Loop, and we had to be there by 11 o'clock, and I was driving her this particular time because we went from radiation, and we had to go into uh, and do her chemo session, and so there I was driving on the West Loop, and, and we're kind of heading towards, you know, where Yates Flooring is, and Academy, and there I am, and, and we're just talking, I'm trying to get there on time, and I must have been thinking about something else, because out of nowhere, a motorcycle policeman gets behind me with his lights flashing. And of course, I'm thinking, there's no way he's after me. I was on the loop. I'm just minding my own, but I'm a law-abiding citizen. And so there I was, right? So all of a sudden, I pull over and uh, proceed to tell the officer that I was in a hurry, sir. I'm trying to take my wife to radiation. She has a radiation appointment, hoping, what was I hoping, guys, that he would have compassion on me and give me a warning. Well, he didn't. I was... I tried telling him that I was not under the law, but I was under grace, and he didn't buy that either. Well, your pastor got a ticket that day. Now, on the ticket, it said, you are guilty. You could pay this fine. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is it me? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You could pay this amount, or you can take a defensive driving course, and it's almost half reduced halfway. And I'm like, okay, well, let's let's go the defensive driving course, right? It's an online defensive driving course that will cut the fine in half. So I op- let's do that. Let's do that. Now, I had like, I think it was like three months to get the test done. Well, I procrastinated, right? Why? Well, because I don't like tests. Well, you said it's a course. Now, now, listen, if you've ever taken this course online, you know that there's a test after each section. They want to make sure you're doing the work, right? Now, if you pay attention... I mean, it's pretty simple, unless you don't like taking tests. Unless you're like, oh my goodness, I, what it, uh." But if you're like me, when it comes to a test, you sometimes panic and you can easily fail the course. Well, I sat in my office one day and said, okay, I'm going to get this done. I only got a few, only got a few days to get this done. And I began the course. And, uh, I purposed to take as many notes as I possibly could. Well, guess what the first question was? The first question was, what was the license plate number of the car you're driving right now? And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm just panicking, right? And you can see the timer going down. It's like, doom, 
Dude. And I'm just like, ah, I don't know. What are they doing? What, is, what does that have to do with defensive driving? Well, guess what? Time went up. I failed the first question. Now, I started thinking, why did they ask that? Well, they asked that for a simple reason. They want to make sure you're the one taking the test, not somebody else for you. And so they're saying, if you're driving this car, you should know. So I would write that down later on. You go, Pastor, what's your point? Guys, here's my point. Sometimes when it comes to tests, when it comes to tests, even though we know all the information, I said, sometimes we panic. Sometimes we stress out about it. Sometimes we fumble, and, and there are times we even forget the information. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Pastor, is there going to be a test in John chapter 6? Absolutely, yes. No, I'm just kidding. There's not going to be a test, okay? There won't be a test, but, but listen, when it comes to life, life is full of tests. Wouldn't you agree? Well, not standardized tests, but allow me, if you will, if you're taking note, to just name a few. One of the tests we go in life, guys, is this. It's the test of patience. The test of patience, right? You go through trials and tribulations and they, and, and, and they can be a test of your patience. That's why it's funny to me when somebody says, Lord, I need more patience. And I'm like, great. You're asking for trials, right? No, that's not what I ask for. I ask for patience. I just need to be more patient. Well, sometimes guys, trials and tribulations could, could be patience, right? The Lord has a timing for filling all of his plans and his purposes. Think about this. Job's life was a test of patience. In fact, the Bible says in the book of James, remember the patience of Job. So sometimes life can be patient. You go, well, what other is, what, what's another test? Well, jot this down. Sometimes there's a test of faith. The test of faith. Trials can be a test of our faith. You go, amen. What do you mean? Do you believe, do, do we believe in God even in the midst of our pain and our suffering? Do we believe in the promises of God even when everything looks impossible? Now, guys, listen. You go, well, Ben, you're just preaching that. I'm here on a Sunday morning. Come on. No, no, think about it for a second, guys. In the darkest, darkest, hard times in your life, do you really know that God is still God? Think about it. Do we trust God even when we don't have deliverance, when he doesn't deliver us? Here's a thought, guys. You can jot this down. How do you know if you are faithful unless you are tempted with unfaithfulness? Let me say that again. How do you know if you are faithful unless you are tempted with unfaithfulness? Life, guys, can sometimes be a test. Now listen, listen. A test of faith, guys, can also build our faith. You go, what do you mean? Well, we're going to see that with Philip today. He's going to take a test, but the purpose is so that he could be built up. Well, let me give you a third one. Sometimes, guys, sometimes life, we, we, we have the test of love. It's a test of love. You go, what do you mean? Well, sometimes trials in our lives, guys, can test our love. Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, have you ever noticed that sometimes trial reveal whom or what we love the most in our lives? They reveal priorities and desires. I think of Peter. Do you remember Peter? Peter gave, had the ultimate test of love. Why? Well, there he was, and he had the moment to either 
deny Jesus, I don't know him, or say, yes, I know him, and what did he choose? He chose, oh my goodness, I love my life, I'm going to tell them three times, I don't know him. And see, that was the ultimate test of love, yet we see that in John chapter 21, Jesus restores him three times. So sometimes, guys, our trials can test, and they actually bring to surface what we really love. And then the fourth test, guys, is a test of humility. The test of humility. Trials can be a test of humility. How so? Well, the Lord humbles us by allowing us to go through seasons of trials. He humbles us. He gets our perspective right. Well, today, in our text, guys, we learn that Jesus is wanting to build the faith of Philip. He wants to build Philip. He wants to build the disciples' faith. That's what he does. He wants to make sure that their foundation is solid. And so what does he do? Jesus is going to give Philip a simple test to see if if his disciple is actually producing fruit in faith. Fruit in faith. We know the purpose of this gospel. We talked about it in our intro. What's the purpose? That we would believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's the whole purpose. We would believe, and that believing we would have life in his name. And so the test today is to bring Philip and the other disciples, as well as us, to a strong belief in who he is. That's the purpose. The purpose of this test is to build our faith in Jesus. Now, if you're taking notes, remember the word believe. Guys, the word believe is made up for three Greek words, and it's very important. Three Greek words because this is what the tests want to do in our lives. You go, what are they? Well, number one, it's pithio, and it means it's the primary verb, and it's an action, and it means to convince. Part of the test in our lives is so that we're convinced in who Jesus is. Can I get an amen? The second word that, that believe is made up is, is to persuade. It's pis, P-I-S-T-I-S. Pistis. And it means to persuade. We want to be persuaded. And the last is pisteo, and it means to have faith. So the tests in our lives, the trials in our lives, the things we go through, guys, could be at time, really simple, to strengthen our faith. You go, what do you mean? Well, to convince us who Jesus is, to persuade us, and to allow us to put our faith and trust in. That's what he's saying. That's what these tests are for. Now, of course, at Calvary Chapel, we go verse by verse, so remember where we left off last week. Pastor, I wasn't here last week. Well, let me remind you. Jesus was in Jerusalem, and he just dropped this huge bomb on the religious leaders of the day. You go, what did he do? He had an awesome dialogue with them, and he just said, and he claimed that he was equal with God. Right? If you recall, he went to the pool of Bethesda and he, and he healed a man that we know of. He'd been sick 38 years. And you go, well, pastor, what is 38? What's the significance of 38? I don't know. It's two less than 40. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know, but I know he's been sick a long, long time. Jesus heals him. It was the Sabbath and everybody flips out. They, you just, this is against the law. And so they just flip out. And so they find Jesus later in the temple. The dude throws him under the bus, says, hey, that's Jesus, that's the dude that healed me. The Jews, the authorities run to Jesus and they say, what are you doing? It's the Sabbath. It's against the law. And I mean, they're really upset. And here's what Jesus says. He says in verse 17, and he says, my father has been working until now. 
and I have been working, and that sends them. You go, what do you mean? It says, therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Listen, they weren't just upset like, listen, you're going to be punished from Israel. You're going to be banned from Jerusalem. They wanted to kill Jesus, right? And you go, why did they want to kill him? Well, not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that, that God was his father, making himself equal with God. This blows my mind, okay? So Jesus goes, listen, God and I, same. Now, think about it, church. He could have left at that moment and walked away. He could have went about his business. But here's what I want you to see, that Jesus loves all people. He loves the religious leaders as much as he loves the prodigals. Some of us have a background, you go, are you kidding me? I don't even know how I'm here today. Man, I used to do this, I used to do that. And, and I mean, we have a testimony that just, we, we just have that. Others go, no, man, I was, I was raised in a Christian home. And, 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 and here's the point, man. Jesus loves all people because he's going to spend the next 28 verses, he's going to just dialoguing with them. Here's what we do. Guys, we as believers, we tend to go, it's us versus them. It's them religious people. Oh, they're the ones that put Jesus on the cross. I can't believe the Pharisees. I can't believe the... And, 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 and we learn in Matthew's gospel, in the story of the prodigal son and the older brother, that Jesus invites everyone into the party. And I want to have the heart of Jesus. Oh, gosh, I want to go after those that are far from Jesus. Please come. You need to be saved. But what about the religious people? What about the church people in our community? Oh, I want them to see Jesus too. I want them to see Jesus. He has the same, I want that heart. But sometimes I find myself going, get him, Jesus. Sick him. Get him. Get him. Right? Those religious people. They don't know you. Jesus spends 28 verses. As a matter of fact, he even says this. He looks at him and he says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. Newsflash, he doesn't say newsflash, that's my interpretation. He says, these are they which testify of me. He says, guys, if you read the Bible, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find me. Now, Jesus is a man of joy, and I think he smiled at them, and it made him even more mad. Right? Because when you want to fight, you want the other opponent to fight with you. When they're calm and collect, you're just so, oh! And Jesus is smiling. He goes, hey, you guys are looking in the scriptures. <laughs> yeah. What should you find? You should find me. And they're just going, that's the whole point. That's why we're mad at you. You sure. And then Jesus leaves them there. And that's where we pick up our story today, right? John is going to give us another snapshot. But here's what I want you to see. Most of us, if we've grown up in church, have heard this story a bunch of times. You go, what is it? It's the feeding of the 5,000. Anybody ever hear that story before? We've read it. We've said, yeah, feeding. We're like, yeah, it's the feeding of the 5,000. That was, that was a crazy miracle. But here's what I want to do. I want to dig a little bit deeper so we can apply the principles that Jesus is wanting us to learn. We're going to dig a little bit deeper. Okay, what is it? Well, if you're taking notes, I'm calling this message, don't panic, it's only a test. Don't panic, it's only a test. And you go, why? Well, for today, we learn that if we walk long enough with Jesus, we will continue to grow in our faith in who he is. It's called 
progressive sanctification. We're going to grow more like him. We're going to grow. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Here's my hope, right? Now, I'm preaching to me. Y'all can listen if you want to. But I wrote down here, let's try not to panic. Life is full of tests. I'm going, Lord, I got this test all the time. Are you kidding me? But I don't want to panic. I, I want to keep my eyes on Jesus and remember all that he has done and then all that he will do. All that he will do. So yeah, he's going to do a miracle that blows our mind. He's going to feed 5,000, almost 10,000 people. We don't know. But let's dig deeper and let's see how we can apply this. Okay? So all of us are with Jesus. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Let me stop right there. I remember preaching this over and over. I kept saying to the church, the Sea of Galilee is the same as the Sea of Tiberias. And when we went to Israel and Nathalie was there, Nathalie's like, I heard you say that a thousand times and I never caught it until I was right here. The Sea of Tiberias, guys, is the same as the Sea of Galilee. So remember that. So you can just get some good knowledge. You go, oh, that's the same thing? That's the same. And I'm looking at Nathalie going, your husband's a pastor and you're really good at it. Now, come on. Come on. But anyway, so Jesus goes, okay, he leaves Jerusalem. And guess what? Verse 2 says, a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he had performed on those who were diseased. Now, here's a great point right here. You go, why? Notice that a great crowd is following Jesus. This not only makes me happy, but this makes me sad. You go, Pastor, why would this make you sad? Well, I wonder, the Bible says that they're following him because they saw people that what? That were sick that Jesus healed. They're following him, not because they love him so much, or they desired an intimate relationship with him, John tells us that they're excited about signs that he performed. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm that guy. Listen, if I saw Jesus heal someone, which we know he did, okay, now now listen. Listen, we know he, we know, here's what we know. We know he turned the water into wine. We know he healed the, the nobleman. And then we know that he what? That he healed the, the paralytic, the, the crippled man who had been crippled 38 years. But notice what it says. It says, the signs which he had performed on those who, I mean, there must have been more. Because the crowd's going, look, it's, he's the one who healed my, and, and I'm thinking, listen, I'm there, okay? I, I don't know who Jesus is right now, but I know that my family member needs healing, and I'm, my baby is sick. I'm going to Jesus. I get it. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not dogging them, but I, but I do want to bring out the point this, guys. I do want to bring out the point. We have to be so careful that we don't follow Jesus simply for the miracles. This is a great ministry, but you need to understand, starting in chapter 6, we're going to see him lose his disciples. Not, not the 12, but we're going to see people who are following him are going to turn and follow him no more because he's going to, he's going to say some hard things. Okay? And you go, well, Pastor, what, what is the point? We gotta be careful because we can also be deceived by signs and wonders. You see, the Antichrist that's gonna come on the scene, it tells us in Revelation 13 that he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth 
in the sight of men, and he deceives all those who dwell on the earth. How? By those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. We have to be so careful. You go, okay, so what's the point? In your mind, Jesus is going up to Galilee. A lot of people are following him, but they're not following him because they desire and want to know him as the Meshach of the Messiah. They're, they're wanting to see a sign. They're wanting to see a cousin healed or a brother or a mom or mother-in-law, whatever it might be. Lest I even say yourself, I need to be healed. Physically, emotionally, you guys know what I'm talking about? But we have to be so careful. And you go, well, uh, can get to the point, Pastor. Okay, church, listen. Guys, we need to follow Jesus because we love him. Even if we never see a miracle or this miraculous sign. Even, even if our healing doesn't come, we need to follow Jesus. And what we need to realize, guys, is that, that we're the miracle. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that what? Saved a wretch like me. You want joy in your life, church? Own your sin. Yep, I'm a wretch. Oh, yes, amen. Paul even said what? I'm the chiefest of sinners. Own your sin. First pillar of the gospel. Second pillar is he's forgiven me. Of that sin. That's joy. Why? Because you own it, and now God goes, okay, you've owned it, now let me take it. You're accepted. Church, listen. The miracle is that he, he saved you, and that he's changing you, and that he's walking in you. Early on, Nathalie and I went to a dinner one time at a friend's house. We were in Missouri, and and we went to, they invited us to dinner, and, and they invited their parents, and we all sat across this table, and, and we were getting to know them, and we were sitting there, and, and he began telling me a story about a miracle, how he had gotten a crash and survived, and, he, and you know, I was like, wow, that is a miracle. And then I looked at him with as much, you got to remember, I'm just a young Christian, with as much uh, love as I could, and I said, do you want to know another miracle? And he's like, yeah. Now he's thinking, same thing, right? Hey, I jumped off a plane without a, my parachute didn't open, but I lived. What a miracle. I said, I said, you want to know another miracle? He's like, I said, that's when Jesus saved me. And he came into my, and you could have heard a pin drop in that dinner. I mean, it was like, click, click. Right? And at that point, I got to share a lot more times with him because they were open. But I said, the miracle, guys that we see, the sign that people will see is that your life is changed. The evidence of you being saved, guys, is that your life is changed. You're not the same. And so we don't follow Jesus, guys, because he makes life better. We follow Jesus because he's better than life. Now, back in Galilee, okay? Jesus gets up there. He he notices what? A huge crowd following him. Look at verse 3. And Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Thank you, John. John just wants to make sure we got everything in perspective. But then Jesus lifted his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to who? Philip, 
Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Wow, right? This is crazy. This is crazy. Let's break it down here. Let me tell you what we do know. We know that about 5,000 men, not including women and children, are coming towards Jesus, okay? A lot of people. Now, all the disciples there, but he turns to Philip, right? And it's almost like all the disciples are hanging out and Jesus is about to ask a question and they all take a step back and, and Philip is standing there by himself going, what did you get? Whoa. And so Jesus asks Philip, he says, Philip, listen, got a question for you. Now, if you're taking note, his name means lover of horses. I think that's pretty cool. Has nothing to do with our study. Just a cool name, right? But he turns to Philip. And he says this question. Hey, Philip, got a question. Where shall we buy bread that all these may eat? Here's the way my brain works. I know they're by the Sea of Galilee. You guys with me? And these guys are fishermen. Why did Jesus ask about bread? I'm thinking, hey, you group, you go fishing. Okay, you over, you go get some bread and you go to the nearest houses. But remember, remember, what would the disciples know that we wouldn't? The disciples would know that their ancestors, right, were going to walk in the wilderness and what was going to come down from heaven? Bread. Manna. You know what manna means? What is it? But it was bread. And so Jesus looks, and I love this because he looks at Philip and he says, Philip, where shall we? And here's the key word. He says, where shall we buy bread that thee, all these may eat? Now, if I'm Philip, I'm like, great, great. Don't panic, Philip. This is only a test. Don't panic. I'm panicking, right? Because if I'm his disciple, Ben, look at all these people. What are we going to do? I'm going, wow. Huh. Hmm. Now let's dig a little bit deeper. You guys ready? I want you to notice the compassion of our Lord. I want you to see his heart. Over in Luke's gospel, we learn that Jesus not only feeds them, but he teaches them and he heals them, okay? Luke chapter 9, verse 11 says, but when the multitudes knew it, they followed him and they rece- he received him and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed those all who needed healing, okay? So Jesus, guys, Jesus has an agenda. He has the main purpose, but his main purpose of healing and miracles is so that his disciples could grow in faith. That's what you and I need to do. We need to grow in our faith with God, Okay? Well, this would be a no-brainer for Philip, don't you think? Philip, where are we going to buy? Lord, look what, I, look what, I mean, see, Jesus, you're in the miracle business. What if you've seen Jesus do all these miracles? You've seen him heal, turn the water into wine. You're just in there going, wow, that was water. I know that was water. Now it's wine. You know that the nobleman's son has been healed. You know that the, the I mean, you've seen all of this stuff. And then he looks at you and he says, where are we going to buy this bread so that everyone... Now, remember, you got 10,000 <clears throat> 10, people coming to you. Oh, I like verse 6. Notice what it says. But Jesus said this to test him. Don't panic, Philip. It's only a test. For he himself knew what he would do. Now, I want you to note Philip's response because it's be the same response I give. Let's be honest. Philip answered Jesus, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may have a little. You go, what did he just say? Well, here's what he said. Even if we worked for eight months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. What did, what did Philip do? Philip went real logical, didn't he? He went real practical. 
Philip, where are we going to buy? Buy, buy, buy. Jesus wants us to buy. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, um, let me see. I know the answer to this one. Lord, um, even if we worked, even if we all worked eight months, Jesus, we don't have enough. We don't have enough. Now, before you and I admonish Philip for his lack of faith, I think we're all like Philip. And you go, well, how so? Well, think about Philip, right? Early days in John, Philip told Nathaniel that they had found the Messiah, that he was in Nazareth. So you need to understand, Philip recognized that Jesus was the Meshach, the anointed one, okay? He wasn't just a prophet or a teacher. He goes, we found the Messiah. We found him. And he says, Nathaniel, come on, right? And Nathaniel replies, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know what Philip said? Philip said, come and see. You got to see this. What was he going to see? He's, here's the Lord. I mean, I know he's the Messiah. I believe it. Amen. Isn't that us when we first get saved? You just got to say, I'm so excited. What happened? I don't know. The Bible, but I know Jesus loves me. This is amazing. And then what happens is then we face life tests like we do here in six. Hey, Philip. Yes, sir. How are we going to feed all of them? I don't know. We'll all have to get jobs. That's what he says. And then later, check this out. Before Jesus is arrested, guys, he tells his disciples, right? Before he's about to be arrested, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him, right? Well, that would have been great. But Philip's response shows a lack of faith again. You know what Philip says? Lord, show us the father and it'll be enough for us. Philip, you know what Jesus says? The Lord sternly rebukes him. Philip, don't you know? Don't you know me? Even after I've been with you for such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. That's like us, guys. You go, how so? When we get, when we first get saved, man, we give our lives, we're excited, we're following Jesus, and then we get a couple of life tests, and the Lord wants to build our faith, and even times when we've been walking with Jesus for a while, we're still going, God, where are you? Are you even there? Do you really even care? This is hard. And the, and, and the Lord looks at us and he says, and he says to us, guys, listen, don't you know me? Have I not, have I not taken care of you? Have I not walked with you? Have you not seen the miracle of your life and the life of your friends? And, 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 and I mean, let's, let's even just go back to, guys, have, have you seen the latest sunrise? I mean, I did that. To show you that I'm God. And we're sitting here like Philip going, just show us, show us the Lord to be enough. Send me a sign. I don't know if you're in this one, God. I don't even know if you're in this one. And that's how I feel like we're a lot like Philip, right? Here's why. It seems like a lifelong journey to grow in our faith. You see, the Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. But I feel like it's a lifelong journey to grow in our faith. Lifelong journey. Look at all that Philip saw. And yet there were times that he's like, show us the Father and it'll be sufficient for us. Philip. Philip. Now, before we go on, let's look at what Jesus asked logically, okay? Their problem was in at least two parts. You go, what's that? First, they didn't have the resources to buy bread and to feed the multitude, okay? Philip. How are we going to buy food? The first thing I'm going is, uh, Judas, come here. Let me see. Well, how much money we got? 
How much money we got? Yeah, Judah been taking the money. We don't got much money. Okay. Second, even if they had enough money, it would be impossible to purchase enough bread to feed all of them. Right? There, there, there ain't no quickie mart right there in, in, in Galilee that was going to have bread to feed 10,000 people. That weren't going to be enough. But guess what they did have? They had God. They had God in the flesh right there. Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Okay, now let's stop for a moment, right? Gotta get a kick out of Andrew. Here's why. Um, first of all, Andrew's looking, okay? How does he know this kid has a sack lunch? I mean, Andrew's like, I mean, the question goes out to Philip and Andrew's like, man, Secret agent, man. Uh, there's a guy, there's a little boy, right? And so that's the first thing. But I also wonder, I also wonder if Andrew was hoping to get a little bit of mad props from Jesus. Jesus, there's a, there's some fish. There's, there's a, there's a kid with a happy meal. But what is that among so many? Would you, church, come on. Would you do that? Would you do that? Right? Would you go, hey, Jesus, look. You know, I, 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 I brought my rice cake from home. Listen, if I got a rice cake and there's 10,000 people coming, I'm not going to show. I'm not, it's like, I ain't got nothing, man. I got nothing. Why? I don't want to be embarrassed. Right? And I'm saying, Andrew, Andrew, don't panic. This is only a test. Now, here's the application that we could take home. Guys, in our lives, we can trust the Lord with five small loaves and two small fish. And if you look up the Greek and the fish, they're more like sardines. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't fit. I mean, it was just enough, right? Here you had a mama pack this little boy a lunch. Good job, moms. You are amazing because you know, you know that they, and, and, and that's, that was enough for him to have lunch. But Jesus wants to build their faith. So what does he do? Look at verse 10. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down in number of about 5,000. Now, doesn't Psalm 23 come to mind when you think of this? Why? Because he says, right, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to lie down in green pastures. And so John just says, man, there was a lot of grass in that place. And it has no significance as far as what Jesus is about to do, but it just gives us that warm feeling going, okay, Okay, God is our shepherd. When Jesus took the loaves, guys, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, likewise the fish, as much as they wanted. Verse 12, so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. There's the miracle. There's the miracle. Here's what, he, he takes the loaves, guys, right? He takes the loaf, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he gives it. And all of a sudden, notice what it says. It says he does that with the fish, and so when they were filled, 
Jesus is so generous, giving every month as much as they, I love that. I mean, nobody was like, okay, I'll just have a little. They ate till they were full. You want some more? No, I'm good, man. I'm full. You ever been there? I'm full. And, and, and so they're, they're, it's just happening right in front of the disciples' eyes. Guys, this is a remarkable miracle. And some think that the disciples should have or could have anticipated that Jesus would do such a thing. Why? They had been with him. This is only a test. Well, notice what he says. He says, okay, guys, everybody's eaten? Yes. He says, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing's lost. Therefore, when they gathered up, they filled 12 baskets with fragments of five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly a prophet who has come in to the world. Okay? Let me give you one quick application, and then we'll close. Okay? Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And then he gives it to the disciples. You guys with me? Oftentimes, that's how we feel like in life. In our lives, there are times that there, there, there is the, there's the taking process in our lives. There's the taking process. Jesus is going to take our lives and he's going to use it in an amazing way. But guess what he does? Then he blesses our lives and we all go through the blessing stage and we're like, are you kidding me? This is amazing. Whether you buy your first house or, or you have children or you just grow spiritually and it's the blessing stage and he blesses it. But guess what? But then comes the breaking stage. And those are those tests in life when he begins to break. Oh, how are you doing today? I can barely breathe. Life seems really hard right now. It's the breaking stage. Why? Because he wants us guys in our weakness to, to, to find our strength in him. And then, then it's the giving stage. And after you've been broken and you walk in humility, the giving is when God begins to use you for his glory. But he's also generous because you go, man, I just don't have enough to give. God continues to bless you and he gives you and he gives you. It's a beautiful principle. It's a beautiful principle. Think about that. He fed the 5,000, but we can apply that. Why? Because number one, let's not panic. There's just tests. Okay, God, I know this is a test. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. Well, what do I need to have? Well, I need to have faith, right? So let's close like this. Faith if you don't know this, is, is like a muscle. You with me? Faith can be strengthened. It can be weak or it can be strong, depending on how much you use it. Faith. How does God build your faith, you ask? He uses very predictable patterns or tests. If you understand it, you can cooperate with him in developing a greater Faith. You want to use your faith. The first thing that God does to build your faith, guys, is he'll begin to work in your life. You go, how so? It's the taking phase. He's building your faith. He's going to take your life. He's going to use it. The second phase is the what? It's the building faith. He's the blessing faith. There you go. God's blessing me. I know it's God. I'm walking with Jesus every day. The third, it's the breaking phase. 
And our faith grows when we're broken and we're able to walk in humility. And last but not least, the muscle of our faith is the giving. The giving to others. The giving to others, church. Much like Philip, he begins to work in our life. Think about this, church. When the test of life comes, jot this down. You know it by heart. Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Think about this. Philip, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed? Lord, listen, I don't, in my own understanding, I don't trust it. I'm not going to lean on this. I'm going to trust you, God. In all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you, Lord Jesus. I trust you. What, what do we do? You're the Lord. Philip, what a great answer. Watch this. It's the same in our lives. You don't know where to go? Trust the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, Lord, in all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you. And he'll direct you. And he'll guide you. And he'll lead your path. Amen. Father, thank you for your word this morning and the truth in your word. Thank you for the tests. Thank you, Lord. Father, as we pray, I want to be very sensitive to your spirit. With every eye closed and every head bowed, maybe you came here this morning and you go, Pastor, you were saying some things in the Word, and it helped me to realize that I don't know if I have a real relationship with Jesus. And if I'm really honest with you, Pastor, I feel like I'm a million miles away from Him. Listen, you might be here this morning, and you might feel like you're a million miles away from God, but you're only one decision away from coming back to Him. But nobody can make you. That has to be your choice. You go, how, Pastor, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to get closer to Jesus and to walk with Jesus? What do I need to do? Well, the Bible says you need to do, you need to do three things. Number one, you need to acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you're far from Jesus. And without him, you won't find your way to heaven. The second thing is you need to repent of your sin. That means you need to turn away from it and follow Christ. And third, you need to invite him into your life. You need to be born from above. Listen, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus or you've walked away from God or I don't know where you're at, but let me tell you this. The God that created you, the God who loves you, is knocking on your heart right now. And what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to come into your heart and he's wanting to give you life and life more abundantly. All you have to do is say yes to him. How, Pastor? How? Well, in a moment, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to simply lift up your hand so I can pray for you. Why do I have to lift up my hand? I want God to see your heart. That you're making, a, you're making a serious declaration and commitment to follow him. I'll lead you in a prayer. 
but it's between you and God. I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you for a relationship with a pastor or a priest or anyone else. This is between you and God. And so my question to you this morning, is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to give my life once and for all. I'm tired of running. I want eternal life with God. If that's you, I want to pray for you. All you need to do is lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Pastor, pray for me right now. Just lift up your hand and I'll pray for you. Is there anyone here? Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.